0: This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. If you're like most people, you know what it feels like to reach a point of burnout professionally, where you just don't feel like you can put any more hours in because the things in your personal life are simply falling apart. The reason we are recording this episode today is to share the story of one person who has been on the journey of living the one thing for five years now. We've had her on the show a few times, and the reason we're having her back is because now that she's five years in, we're going to have specific conversations about the things she has learned when it comes to living the one thing, to be more present when she's at home with her family, to learn to deal with sometimes the guilt she feels as a working mom. This episode is specifically for those of you out there who are working mothers who struggle with that counterbalance. While being at work, you may feel guilty for not being at home. And when you're at home, you may be struggling to be present with your family because you're thinking about work. Our hope in this episode is that you can identify one thing that will help you either create more time at work to do the things that matter most so you can have the mind share to be present at home or How to be more present at home by identifying the things that are most likely to stop you from being present when it matters most. With that, let's get into this conversation with Casey Gosell. Casey, I'm glad we're reconnecting.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. It's great to see you again.
0: Likewise, likewise. So today, the the focus of our conversation is going to be on how to live the one thing as a working mom. You are now how many years into your journey of living the one thing?
1: Just over five years. Yeah.
0: And what do you do professionally?
1: I am a corporate attorney. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I buy and sell companies. It's so much fun. That's uh, It is fun. That is fun.
0: <laughs> um, so before we dive into what your life looks like today in terms of living the one thing with five years under your belt... I want to go back to the beginning. So we originally had you on in episode 186, and um, you came across the one thing at a very interesting time in your life. Take us there.
1: So I had just returned from maternity leave after having my first child. Um, As I mentioned, I'm a corporate attorney, so I have a pretty busy professional life, we'll say. And uh, I had a three-month maternity leave where I basically completely booked my calendar for the following like six months while I was on maternity leave. So I came back, and I had this insane schedule. I had meetings in the morning, meetings at lunch, meetings after work. And I also had this brand-new baby who was in daycare. And as I'm sure you can imagine, after about five minutes of living this life, I was like, this is never going to work. I was I was burnt out. Um, by the time the end of the year hit, uh, 2016, it was our like Christmas break and I was traveling out to Ohio to visit my parents. I'd been back at work for four months at that point. Um, and I had turned to my husband and basically said like, I can't do this anymore. I I have have to quit. There's nothing more I can do. I I'm completely burnt out and I can't quit being a mom. I I have to quit my job,
0: which, you know, that alone is, is tough, but This has been a dream of yours. I mean, ever since you were a kid, you had wanted to be a corporate attorney because all little girls dream of being corporate attorneys (laughs) one day. And you had finally earned partnership. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of giving that up, I've got to imagine was really tough.
1: Right, right. So I actually found out that I made partner... the day after I found out I was pregnant. And so that was like a very overwhelming situation. And I felt like I had something to prove. Like I needed to prove that I could have this baby and still be the exact same person I was before having this baby. Um, And I was naive enough to believe that that was possible. So I really tried to live my life after having a child the same way that I had lived it before, like, of course, I can do all these things. I was very much a yes person. Like, it really didn't matter what the question was. The answer was always yes, whether that was taking on a difficult client or doing some pro bono work or taking on a charitable endeavor, going to a dinner late at night. Like, it really didn't matter. If somebody asked me to do it, the answer was yes. And so I was so used to saying yes to everybody else in my life and saying no to myself that once I had this baby and I continued to say yes, there was no time left for family time at all. Yeah.
0: So take us to your four months postpartum. How many hours a week do you think you're working at this point?
1: Um, maybe 60.
0: Okay. And I know you, you shared in 186, when you're at work, you're feeling guilty because you're not with your baby. Yeah. And when you're actually at home and attempting to be with your husband or your baby, you're feeling guilty because of all the stuff you didn't get done at work.
1: Exactly. I mean, I was like the walking definition of mom guilt. Everywhere I was, was the wrong place and I was never present. Mm. And it was horrible. I mean, I really felt like I had dug myself into a terrible hole. I felt like I couldn't be the best version of myself at work. And I wasn't willing to be less than that. I wasn't willing to go part time. Like I needed to be... The rock star, like I was before, and so anything less than that felt like failing. And so I had kind of made this decision that I was going to have to leave the practice of law and like be a stay-at-home mom. And I was heartbroken. I mean, that's not what I wanted at all. I went to college for a very, very long time, and I, you know, I was committed to this. I wanted to do. I enjoyed it. It's part of you know my identity. Um, so I really didn't want to give it up. And so I was putting it off, kind of dragging my feet. Um, we entered the new year. It was like January. I was up in the middle of the night nursing my daughter. And um I'd laid back down into bed at like 2 30 in the morning and I was trying to fall asleep, which is really difficult to do. And um, I picked up my Kindle, like I always did, and I was like, Oh man, I I just finished a book. Now I have to find a new book. So I went to this like free lending library on Amazon Prime and I came across the most boring looking book. It was like this plain white cover with the black letters down the down the center, and I thought well, that looks peaceful. Um, I'll read that. That looks good. I had no idea what this book was about, but I figured it was probably boring and I was hoping to fall asleep.
2: Yeah, that
0: book was the one thing.
2: (laughs) Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is, Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen,
0: Give us a sense of the 20% things you started doing differently after reading the book.
1: So the first thing that I realized um, after reading the book was that my calendar was a mess. And the only way that I was ever going to fix my life was to clear up my calendar and really take control of that Um, time blocking. Like I I read that chapter and I was like, yes, I need this in my life. So I did two things uh, right away. The first thing I did was I said no. I said no to all the reoccurring commitments I had in my calendar. These are things that just like show up every single month without you even scheduling them because they're reoccurring. You know things like committee meetings and you know board meetings and all these things that I have to do. And so I was volunteering for a lot of things at that time, and I got rid of all of those, which made a drastic change in my uh, in my calendar. And then I color coded my calendar to account for the things that were most important. And I talked about this in our first conversation. So the way that I am compensated financially is that um, 75% of my pay is based on productivity, meaning like hours that I'm actually billing time for clients. And then the other 25% is for like new originations where I bring in new clients to the firm. And so I was spending an unbelievable amount of time outside of the office trying to originate new business which only accounts for 25%. And I really wasn't leaving any time for sitting in my office, actually doing the work that makes up 75% of my pay. And this is where you say <laughs> it's the 80-20 rule.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, it's it's amazing. And this is, this is something that for you who's listening to this could consider as a lead domino following this episode. If you do a calendar audit and you go through for the last week, two weeks, month, And start color coding. And you could even leave it as 20%, 80%. The 20% things that drive 80% of your results and then the 80% everything else that only drives the minority of your results and actually start counting how many hours a week are being invested in the 20% versus spent in the 80%. And I'm hearing Casey, you just look this, you know your comp plan, 75% is billable hours, 25% is new business. Yet the majority of your time was being spent Doing the things that drive the minority of your pay. Yep, that's exactly right. That in itself is an aha, but how did you change it?
1: So I changed it by um, changing my calendar. So once I said no to all the reoccurring commitments, I was starting with a blank canvas, right? So this was now only new stuff that I was putting into my calendar. So I created a system, um, anything that was billable working hours, that was green. Um, That included like any meetings that I had with clients. Um, but. Other things that I was doing outside of that, like networking and things that are intended to drive new originations, I changed that to black. And then all the meetings that I do that have no impact on my financial situation at all, waste of time meetings, they were red, as in I should do as few of those as possible. Things like going to committee meetings and department meetings and boring meetings like that. Um, you also have to keep in mind, this was a few years ago where we didn't do virtual meetings. So every meeting also came with travel time. So that was also you know not exactly income producing. Um, and then I also booked out my personal time in purple. And so I made rules for my calendar that basically said on any given day, I could have as much green as I needed to do the work for my clients, but I could only ever have one black meeting or one red red meeting and never a black and a red in the same day. So what that made it possible for was that I could space out all of my um, new origination type meetings and not have them conflict with my working hours. Yeah.
0: And this is something that any person listening to this can do. You can set rules for yourself. The thing that we all know is we often... um, are the number one violators of our own rules, especially when it comes to time blocking. You mm-hmm. were in the position where you had an assistant that you got to hand these rules. Talk about how you held them accountable to following them.
1: So I basically gave her her my color system, full access to my calendar. And I also at the time blocked out Fridays. Like these are the days that only I can put Events in there. So if I want to take a half day and go play with my kid, that's up to me. Like, you're not allowed to tell me what to do on Fridays. Every other day, you can tell me exactly what to do. The only rule is you cannot break any of these rules. So I kind of designed the plan and said, here, run with it. How'd it go? It was amazing. I mean, it changed my whole entire life. I think in the course of the rest of that year, which was probably like seven or eight months at that point. Um, my income increased by forty percent. Um, it has since doubled. Since then, um, I mean, things are things are amazing. I would say that the calendar switch that I made was probably the number one most important thing that I did for my myself for my sanity.
0: Yeah. So I mean, if if we fly up to ten thousand feet, you go from having a dream of being a corporate attorney and one day earning partner to Finding out you're pregnant, 24 hours later, finding out that you're going to earn partner, realizing that those two things are likely in conflict with one another. Fast forward to baby and four months postpartum, you're at a breaking point. And you think you have to give up your dream. You read the one thing and realize, no, I just actually have to invest my time and not spend it.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Okay. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about what Casey has learned after five years of living the one thing that has helped her strike better counterbalance between being a working professional and being a mom. Welcome back. So let's fast forward to where you are today. You're five years into living this now. What are the things that you have learned to do over the last year or few years that you did not know how to do when you first started living the one thing that have made a huge impact for you?
1: So I really embraced uh, the six lies like they were rules for my life, um, and and I lived them very religiously for the first couple of years. Um, I also really embraced um, habit forming, the sixty six day habit forming rules, and I. As I already mentioned, time blocking became my savior. Um, So, I mean, those principles, they kind of carried out in all aspects of my life, not just Mm -hmm. my personal, uh, sorry, not just my professional career, but also my personal life. Um, You know, I started setting big goals and big dreams and I wasn't afraid to do that. I almost felt like the fact that I didn't have them before was a bad thing. So I started trying to think of goals. I started um, participating in things like the annual goal setting retreat and, you know, I found a support team of women who were in a similarly situated, um, position as myself. And we started getting together on a monthly basis. We even all came out to Texas to see you guys that one time. Um, and we are still together. There's 10 of us. And, um, we're all um, entrepreneurs, we're all women. We don't all have children, but we all have personal lives, and you know, your personal life is is part of the package. And so I kind of formed this support system around me that enabled me to have constant reminders of these rules and the principles of the one thing. And that's been that. incredible. yeah.
0: what when you when you think about over the years of getting together with your your girls group, what have been some of the biggest challenges they've had? as professional women, many with kids?
1: So over the last couple of years since we started this group, we've literally been through everything together. There's been divorces and new children and relocations and deaths in the family and COVID and crazy and, you know, new jobs, new everything. So, I mean, I'm not sure that there is a single... problem that we haven't had to face together as a group, even, even strife within the group and trying to mediate through that. So all of it, um, I think at least for me, um, as a working mom, the things that I struggle with the most, most consistently that are constantly coming up are two things. One is being present and the other is mom guilt. And I still struggle with it. I, you know, I plan my day and I'm very structured with, you know, not multitasking and I'm, I'm really good about time blocking, but even still, like as my, my daughter is a little older now, I also had a second child since we last spoke and, you know, there's a lot of need there and they want me around all the time. And I still struggle with the things that, you know, the nanny is doing with them during the day that I'm missing out on. And I also still struggle with being present, Um, not so much at work. I can definitely get into that work zone and stay there pretty easily. But when I'm home, it's very challenging for me to stay present with my family. And I think the biggest problem, the reason for that is that, you know, our world changed drastically over the last two years and everybody became very reachable when everybody was at home and there were no more boundaries. And we didn't have things like working hours. It was like, everybody has a cell phone and everybody's at home. So you can call them anytime. And prior to that, um, you know, I always used my work email and I used my work phone. And if, if I got a message, I could choose whether or not to return that. But now, I mean, I don't, I think every single one of my clients has my cell phone and they text me and they call me at any given hour. And so that has made it very, very difficult for me to have that segregation of like, this is my work time versus this is my personal time.
0: What have you attempted to do to improve that situation?
1: (laughs) I mean, I... I'm still, I'm a work in progress, Jeff. I am very much a work in progress. And it's funny because our our big takeaway at the end of our, our last call a couple of years ago was um, the fact that I was going to like delete my work email from my phone and like leave it somewhere. And I did that for a long time, um, but it changed when I never left the house anymore. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so right now, you know, I, I do the best I can. I try to give myself grace. Um I try to remember that like I am human and that my kids are going to survive and I'm doing the best that I can by get, making sure that they're safe and well taken care of when I'm working. But um it would be a lie to tell you that it's perfect. I mean, I go home at night with every intention of sitting there and being present for 2 hours and having fun family time and eating dinner with my kids and I get a text like I need to speak to you right now and I end up on the phone. That's just reality for me.
0: You want to explore that?
1: Oh boy! You want oh me to yeah! Mail you my phone? <laughs> no, no, no,
0: no! You're not going to mail me your phone. Um, and and I'll preface by saying I'm not perfect here either. Far far from it. So, um, for those of you who are listening to this, who are going, oh, I struggle with that too. We all do. Um, first question is: I want you to imagine when you're about to go into that window of time. When your intention is to be present with your family, what is the number one thing that tends to pull you out?
1: My phone okay. for sure. I mean, I'll get normally I don't check my emails, so that's no longer the issue. Like I'm okay. really good about, I won't do that until after my children are asleep. Um, and they do go to bed fairly early because they're young, uh-huh. but um But now that my clients have my cell phone, they text me and call me. So a lot of times I'll get a text. I represent a lot of doctors and dentists. And so they're just getting done with their full day of patient treatment. Uh, At the time I'm leaving the office and coming home for my family time. So it's like 530 and they're like, oh, great. It's time for me to talk to my lawyer now. And I'm like, oh, great. It's time for me to hang out with my kids. So the conflict of that is a struggle. So typically what happens um, on on a bad day is I walk in the door. I say hi. And then either my phone rings or I get a text message. And sometimes I can ignore it. But a lot of times, because I do mergers and acquisitions, a lot of times it's because of a deal that's closing in the next day or two and it needs immediate attention and I can't really ignore it.
0: Mm, So that was gonna be my next question is, of the times that they text or call, what percent of the time does it truly have to be handled in that moment versus could it wait till the next morning?
1: I would say at least three out of the five days of the week during the two hours I'm supposed to be with my family I'm interrupted by something I feel needs immediate attention now so, that might just be my perception yeah some of it may not be actually an emergency <laughs> so let's let's so let's go there and this is
0: zero zero judgment because I've had to do this as well I, I and I remember being on a president's club trip with my wife in Hawaii when I was back in medical sales and like we're supposed to be on the beach and I'm doing deals. And I told her, like, it's urgent. It has to happen now. Looking back on it, there's no freaking way. There's no way. It didn't need to happen then. Right. And leaving space for the fact that there may be those that really require it. So I want you to think about the last several instances where you got the text. What percent of them truly, if you did not answer it in that window, you could have gotten back to him in two hours. But if you didn't answer in that window, it would have been catastrophic. Could not have waited.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not like curing cancer or saving lives over here. So I guess the honest truth is 0% really had to have immediate attention. Um, I I think the reality is if if I'm really being honest with myself in any given situation with almost zero exceptions, I could very easily send a return text that says, can I call you at 8 o'clock? Because at eight o'clock you know, at least I'm only ditching my husband and not fall on my kids.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. I remember hearing this um, with real estate agents. They felt very much the same thing, which is
1: they're always on duty.
0: They're all, I'm always on. My clients are working during the day. They're calling me after hours. I've got to answer it. The deal could be falling apart. And I remember when I moved to Austin and I sat down with my agent. They gave me a talk track along the lines of, hey, we're going to find you an amazing house at an amazing price. You're going to be extremely happy. And what I need you to know is when I'm working with you, I'm going to be so focused on making sure I deliver on that promise I just made. And just like I'm making this promise to you, I also make that promise to my family, which is why from 5.30 to 7.30 every evening, my family is my one thing. I am with them. If you call me, I won't answer. If you really need me that evening, shoot me a text and I'll return, I'll try to get back to you later in the evening, but I can tell you it's very rare that something can't wait till the next morning and I'll get back to you during business hours. And that was just that was ex- an expectation that was set up front and I remember one day I'm driving home. It's 5:35. I make the call. I get the voicemail. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, but I need to talk to her. And then there was like the little angel popped up on my shoulder. And it was like, but do you really need to talk to her, Jeff? Or do you just want to talk to her? It's like, okay, I want to talk to her. She called me back the next day. Everything went fine. So I'm wondering, how do you set expectations up front? And how do you leverage technology in the moment to let people know
1: So I actually just started doing something like a week ago that is actually, I think, helping um, because I totally agree with you. So two things that that came to mind when you were talking. Um, One is the ability to call somebody back or text them back right away is almost the same as like the dopamine hit that you get when you cross something off of your to-do list, huh. because I just want to cross it off. Like I don't want to put it off till later. Cause I don't want to have to think about it for the next two hours with my right. family. I don't want to be distracted. So like, I want that dopamine hit. I want to cross it off the list, like get it over with it's out of my brain. But what I just started doing recently, which cures this is I discovered, which how I didn't know about this blows my mind, that you can silence like notifications on your phone so (gasps) you don't even see it. I mean, where have I been living under a rock? I had Uh no idea. So I started just recently Uh that when I leave the office, I turn on like turn off notifications or whatever. Uh And then I don't, well, one day I actually forgot to turn it on completely until the next morning, which was amazing. But typically after I put my kids to bed, I turn it back on. That's so crazy. then I don't know. I don't know that I'm getting this or missing out on my dopamine hit. I don't <laughs> I don't allow it to like... Yeah, because
0: I'm with you. If I even see that somebody called or texted, it's going to occupy my mind share. Sure. And so I guess this would be the, the the call to action for you who's listening to this, depending on when you listen to this, because we try to make these as timeless as possible. You can Google, <laughs> whether you have an iPhone or an Android, notifications and see what the latest technology is. I know that that does exist where you can put your phone on a period where it won't even show you that you've gotten the phone call or the text message. And I think you can even set schedules. So it's recurring, like every weekday from 530 to 730, pause all notifications.
1: That's true. You can. It, you can You can put it on a little timer. Um, that, that schedule has been really, really helpful. And like I said, I just implemented. But what's so funny We had our talk years ago, right? When the first time I was on the podcast, I think this is number three for me. So the first time I was on this podcast and we talked about the fact that I could, you know, turn off the settings on um, my outlook so that I can't even see or know when I get new emails on my phone. I've never turned that back on. Even to this day, I don't I have to go looking for those emails. I've never turned that back on. And it just took yeah. me all this time <laughs> to figure out I needed to do it for my text messages as well.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and for and for people who want the recap without having to go back and listen to that, we all know what it feels like to see the little red bubble of death on your phone that says, you have 542 emails. And you probably have your email icon on your home screen. So the moment you unlock your phone, you see the email icon, you see the little red bubble, and it's poking you, telling you how many emails you have yet to return. Mm -hmm. And you just got rid of the notifications and the little bubble. So you see the email icon, but you have to make a conscious choice to open it up. I went as far as to move it to the second screen. So I have to swipe right to even see the email
1: icon. Mine's on the third screen. Oh, boom, shakalaka. (laughs) No, I did it. I did it years ago because I found like it was like an addiction, like wake up in the middle of night, check my email, get up in the morning, check my email, walk into the gym, check my email. Like it was like a trigger. And once I got rid of it and kind of like I had it deleted for the longest time. And when I had to put it back on my phone, um, for other reasons, because it's now connected to my calendar, uh, I disabled everything, hit it all the way in the back. So it's like an effort for me to look at my email on my phone. Yeah. It helped. It helped a lot. It broke the addiction for sure. That's awesome.
0: Well, I think the thing I'm taking from this is I think we all struggle with being present and asking the question, when I'm trying to be present, what's the number one thing? that pulls me out of that state. For you, it's text messages. For some people, it might be something different. But looking at your technology and having an honest conversation with yourself about is it actually serving me? Is this? I I remember going into my notification center and going app by app by app. Alaska Airlines, is you notifying me more important than me achieving my goals or being present with my family? If the answer is yes, I will leave the notifications on. If the answer is no, I take them off.
1: How about social media? I mean, that's crazy, right? Like if you allow it, social media could just be on your phone all day long. I have no zero, zero notifications on my phone. If I want information about something, I will go find it. I don't want my phone telling me what to look at.
0: Me too, me too, 100%. Casey, you know, one of the things I really respect about you is um, not only have you become a practice leader of the principles, I mean, you read the book, you have put them into practice, which means you've had successes, it also means you know what it means to fail. You have failed living the one thing probably every day. And because of that, you are better than you were five years ago. You've also been in the position where so many other working women come to you for advice on, okay, how the heck do I get control of my life? Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to somebody who's um, a working mom who's listening to this right now who just, they need help?
1: Well, first and foremost, you can get your life back. You know, I've lost sight of who I am several times over the past couple of years. It wasn't I read the book and I was instantly cured. I mean, 2020, when I had my second child, I sort of lost myself for a little while again and had to rebuild. But the truth of the matter is, like, you have a foundation that is within you and that never goes away. You may lose sight of it for a little while. You may be distracted for a little while but it's still inside of you. And so dream the big dreams and go out there and make a plan and make it happen. You can totally do it. And the two things that I would say are the biggest help in making those things happen, number one is your right to say no. Say no to everything that isn't a hell yes. And if you do that, you will make space for the things that are most important in your life. And the other thing is embrace the principles of time blocking and plan your day. Because if you make a plan and you stick to the plan, you can't really be disappointed.
0: I love that. When you say it, it's so simple. Like embrace, <laughs> it's not simple. Embrace, I know. Well, no, it, it is simple. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah, you're, there you go. You, you You say embrace your right to say no you have... That is a muscle. They have, like, it's like you're going to the gym and you are building that muscle. And a lot of people, we're asking them to pick up a five-pound dumbbell and curl it once. And that might fatigue the living life out of them. What advice would you give to people about saying no? Because you've actually gotten very good at this.
1: Yeah, I'm really good at saying no. Um, so we actually talked about this previously also. Um, the thing about saying no to somebody else is that you think that they care the way you care. You are not the center of anybody else's world, but your own and maybe a very small child. So as long as you're not saying no to yourself and you're not saying no to a very small child, chances are that it's not really that big of a deal. So if somebody asks you to go to a client meeting or a networking event or a charity function or whatever the case may be, and you don't wanna go for whatever reason, they're really not going to care that much. You may feel guilty and it's probably unnecessary. And so I think I said yes to so many things, again, out of like a habit and of wanting a desire to be a people pleaser. But I also felt guilty if I said no, like, oh, they'll be disappointed. Nobody's disappointed. People don't care. Say no. Get back your time.
0: I love it. I love it. And we always say the path to getting everything you want starts by getting one thing. At a time. So think big. Imagine being the type of person who just says no effortlessly. <laughs> Go small. Say no to one thing. One thing this week that deep down you know you would benefit from taking that time back so you can reinvest it in something that's going to give you a higher return. And just say no. Say, I'm sorry, I've got a conflict that's come up. Can we do next week? I'm so it sorry, I'm unavailable. So yeah. And, and, You know, Casey, I mean, you, we skipped over this, but I mean, you, the amount of recurring meetings that you said no to, the amount of committees that you recused yourself from, that most people are like, oh my gosh, my career is going to be at stake. There's no way people are going to accept this. How many people pushed back on you when you said, sorry, I can no longer, I'm not just not attending this, I'm never attending this again. How many people came back and said, oh, no, no, you need to do that?
1: No, no one. I mean, that's that's what I mean. Like people understand that you have a right to say no and they don't care if they'll find somebody else or maybe they won't. But it's not your problem. And when you finally do what is in your own best interest and free up your time for whatever else it is that you want to be doing, it feels so good. And it doesn't mean that you have to fill it with something else in that same category. Maybe you just need a moment of silence. Maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you hide in a closet from your children. I don't really care. But the point is, if it's not doing something positive for you, it is a waste of your time and you shouldn't be there. And by the way, if you show up at an event that you don't want to be at and you're not present, you're doing more harm than good anyway. You're better off not being there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, Casey, (laughs) thanks so much for coming back on and sharing your journey.
1: It's been a pleasure to talk to you again, Jeff. So nice to see you.
0: Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Casey Gosell. The moment you start to view mastery as a journey you go on rather than a destination you arrive at, it starts to feel achievable and attainable. Casey's now five years on her journey of living the one thing. And Self-admittedly, she's not perfect. However, she's light years better than she was when she was four months postpartum thinking that she would actually have to give up on her professional dream. We know for you, you might have big goals, but deep down, you may be tough on yourself because every day you see those areas where you know you could have done better and deep down you feel like you failed. Our hope in this episode is that you can reframe those failures as learning lessons to help you improve. Because if day after day after day, you make the incremental progress over time, extraordinary things become possible. I look at Casey to think that she not only increased her income by 40%, but then doubling it from there to being able to strike the counterbalance to have a beautiful family with a loving husband and two beautiful baby girls and have a thriving career. And even with that, she still struggles. Yet the thing that you heard from her is she's coachable. She's willing to look for that next domino that if she can knock that down, can help her on her journey. So setting up the do not disturb so that those text messages and notifications won't even be displayed so that she can be present when it matters most. I have no doubt that she will execute that and that that will help her move forward. And guess what? She'll realize the next place she's hitting up against the ceiling of achievement. She'll identify the lead domino that she can knock down there, and she will continue to do it for years to come. We hope that based on this episode, you can identify one thing that you can put into practice in the next week that will help you be more present when it matters most, whether that's at work or in your personal life. If this episode has brought value to you, think of somebody you know who needs to hear it and share it with them. If you're new to the show, click the follow button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device of choice. And while you're at it, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It genuinely helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.